0: So, hello and welcome to another episode of the Poetry Pause podcast. And in this episode, we're tackling Dylan, or is it Dylan Thomas? I'm here with Emma and Alan. What do we think about Dylan or Dylan?
1: Dylan or Dylan? (laughs) Well, he referred to himself in the Anglicised version, didn't he, as Dylan
0: Dylan, yeah. Yeah, so we'll stick with Dylan, shall okay. we? We're in the couchette recording this
2: episode. How have you been, Emma? Yeah, I've been good. Looking forward to talking about Dylan Thomas because I think sometimes everything that can be said about him may have been said, so hopefully we'll have some new new thoughts about him today. Right, and Alan,
0: <laughs> um, would you like to tell us how you come to be here? Who are you?
1: Who am I? I ask myself that regularly. Well, I'm a retired educationalist, I suppose I'd say. I was a lecturer in English in colleges and university for quite a few years. And then I was a deputy principal in a college of further education. Great. And in terms of Dylan Thomas, I first came across his work um, as an A-level student way back when and then regularly used his uh, poetry in teaching.
0: Right. That would be very interesting for us to talk to you about that kind of accessibility and relevance mm. today, I think. Yeah. So he's an immense figure, isn't he? How do we tackle identifying his contribution to poetry and separating from the man and the myth Or should we even attempt to do this? What do we think about this?
2: (laughs) I don't know. I think maybe part of what makes me drawn to Dylan Thomas is the mythology surrounding him. It's all
0: Mm.
2: interwoven. I've got quite a few thoughts about how he's presented. Yeah, I'm I'm drawn to him as a writer. Possibly partly because of the mythology surrounding him.
0: Yes. Um, I think, you know, certainly growing up in West Wales, before I had ever read a Dylan Thomas poem, it was in the sort of general atmosphere and consensus that America killed Dylan. Yes. Dylan. America killed him somehow, you know, so we knew that America was a very big bad place. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think about this, Alan, about the sort of man in the myth?
1: It's interesting. I mean, I, like Emma, am certainly partly drawn to him because of the, the persona and, uh, you know, the excitement around his persona. Certainly when I was a teenager and that was part of it. We had a wonderful Welsh lecturer, actually, who rather enjoyed all of that. I've always been drawn to the idea of him as a kind of rock star poet. Yeah. However, I think it becomes problematical in that all of that, I think, plays into the lack of positive, critical reception that perhaps his work has suffered from, and, that, and that's a shame. Yeah. So it's a good question, you know, how, can you separate out or, and, and, and should you? And I think... There's an argument that one should do that. And the answer to how you do it, for me, is, well, look at the poems. Yes. Look at at the work. Yes,
0: I think that's very true. I mean, I couldn't help thinking when getting ready for this episode that I am sure if he was alive today, he would have been an Instagram influencer. It would have been irresistible for him, you Mm -hmm. know, because... His breakthrough was, I mean, the poems were amazing, but also the way he delivered these poems yes. was so extraordinary
2: mm. that
0: you can kind of see how, you know, momentum built on. Here's this amazing guy.
3: In my craft or sullen art, exercised in the still night, when only the moon rages and the lovers lie abed with all their griefs in their arms. I labour by singing light, not for ambition or bread, or the strut and trade of charms on the ivory stages, but for the common wages of their most secret heart.
0: What do we know about his life and his biography? What do we know, Emma?
2: So he was born... On the 27th of October, 1914, in Swansea, in Comdonkin Drive, which I think has become part of the myth. And so he started his life in Swansea and then he moved around, ended up in Larne, and travelled to America on his famous tours where he performed his poetry in this way we've just talked about, quite a theatrical way. And I think he built up this persona that was part of his brand. So I think there's, there's kind of two sides to him. I, I mean, I've, I've listened to a lot of interviews with his wife, Kathleen Thomas, and the way she describes him is quite different from how he might be perceived in other circles. So, yes. Yeah.
1: She's very disparaging often, isn't she?
2: I think she's just, you know, she's his wife, and so she's, yeah. she wasn't married to the myth. She was married to the man, and I imagine that would have been quite a difficult thing yeah especially oh, yeah. in at that time
3: from the very start he was had just the one idea that the poems and the booze poems and the booze hmm. in that order was it then yes the poems definitely were more important but uh, i think he used the booze booze tool to kind of wipe out the poems not to think about them when he wasn't writing them How did he write poetry? Was it easy for him or difficult? No, 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 it was terribly difficult, yes. Uh, He used to go into his little shed and uh, scrape and scratch and mutter and mumble and uh, intone and and change, and he was frightfully slow, you know. In one whole long afternoon from about two to seven, he might have done just one line or... Taken out one word or put in one word. In his poetry, he seems obsessed with his own childhood. He's always looking back. Yes, he was. He was terribly sentimental about his childhood and his school days. And sometimes I think I never progressed from there. He was very romantic in that sense. I don't think he wanted to look forward.
0: Mm. And she wasn't yes. averse to attention herself, was she? I read somewhere about some fee he'd got for something and quite a large amount of this fee went on a gold swimsuit that she
2: bought
1: <laughs> herself. Yes.
0: She obviously, you know, enjoyed yeah. being the centre of attention and so she danced and things like that, yes. didn't she?
1: And, and bathed, I think, in lan in, yeah. in said swimsuit. That's right. <laughs> drawing a lot of attention.
0: Where it's quite dangerous to swim, actually, yes. Dangerous. Yes, so uh, just to go back to these... Um, his breakthrough in terms of the poems now, mm. Alan. So mm. well, he was 20, wasn't he, when 18 poems came out?
1: Yes, that's right. And I think if you consider that, it's quite extraordinary. The quality of those poems, I think, and the impact that they had and the influence and mm. in the the uh, way in which they were received it says an awful lot about his importance as a poet and his impact and when you consider that he left school at 16 didn't go to university worked as a reporter in Swansea uh, not very successfully I believe but all the time was working on writing these poems and sent them off to London Mm. and there was an immediate impact attracted the attention of other poets Stephen Spender, T.S. Eliot. Auden and most of those poets recognise, well I think all of them, Auden was quite critical but even he recognised that this was an important voice and this was something different.
0: Yeah, yeah, which is amazing, really, to be in Swansea as this sort of skiving reporter, we get the impression, yeah. leaving him plenty of time to do poetry. And uh, he must have been very disciplined about writing mm. his poetry.
1: He was very self-aware. Yeah. yeah. And just quote a bit from one of his letters. Yes. Here is an extract from a letter he sent to Richard Church. Immature violence, rhythmic monotony frequent muddle-headedness and a very much overweighted imagery that leads often to incoherence, Mm. is what he said about his own poetry. And, and, and of course, um, insofar as people do consider him to be a very flawed poet, I think they're exactly the faults that would be picked up on. Yes, Mm.
0: that he's picked up on himself. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, he... Strikes me as he's quite a brittle character, isn't he? Yeah. You kind of need that brittleness to be funny, I think, which of course he was very funny. Yeah. You're able to be critical to other people, but you're also extremely critical to yourself on yes. you? Yes, yes. It's a, it's a very interesting character trait, yes. I think.
1: Well, again, coming back to the question of can you separate out the poet from the myth? Mm. I think that that level of self-criticism and self-awareness is part of being an extremely good artist.
2: Yeah.
0: We'll carry on chatting about him, but shall we move on to now our poem choices? Start with yours, Emma. Okay. But what have you chosen and why?
2: It's the force that through the green fuse drives the flower. The force that through the green fuse drives the flower drives my green age. That blasts the roots of trees is my destroyer. And I am dumb to tell the crooked rose my youth is bent by the same wintry fever. The force that drives the water through the rocks drives my red blood. That dries the mouthing streams turns mine to wax, and I am dumb to mouth and to my veins, how at the mountain spring the same mouth sucks. Right, great. Why did you choose that? Because, for me, this illustrates that kind of early energy that you get as a teenager. It really, you know, it speaks to me in that way. But equally that kind of awareness of the whole of his life as well and, and this kind of authoritative, youthful cockiness but also, wow, awareness of the universe in a way and how he's just one person within it and, ha- and this kind of oneness with nature. It sums up so much of his other work for me as well and how his background spent in rural Carmarthenshire and his relationship with nature and what it is to be young, but also what it is to be human and flawed and part of something bigger. So it says all of that to me, this poem. It's very powerful. What do you reckon, Alan?
1: Mm, I agree completely with that. I I think it's a wonderful poem. The uniqueness, really, of his Mm. voice and what he has to say, which broke away from, to a large extent, the tradition of poetry at that time, yeah. So you know the elements of pantheism in there, mm. at the same time as having a very wide viewpoint. It's very intimate as well. Mm. He, he's contained within, yeah, an individual stem and an individual.
2: And it's not, flower. but it's not romantic either. It's not no. a beautiful flower. It's the force that drives the flower. It's yeah. to me, it's a whole new way of looking at flowers and nature and. Yeah, it's very dramatic and and feels very young as well. Yeah, I just it. It does.
0: And what are the last lines? Because he could certainly rock a last. He could rock an opening line, couldn't he? And he could really (laughs) rock uh, his end lines. So it
2: ends with, And I am dumb to tell a lover's tomb How at my sheet goes the same crooked worm.
0: Right. Mm. I mean, that is sort of ominous, really, isn't it? It's very dark in a way. Yeah. It's incredible. What age did he was he when he wrote that? He
2: poem? was 19 when he wrote that, which just seems... Extraordinary.
3: Yeah. It's
0: mind-blowing to be yeah. able to contemplate and articulate mm. feelings about death at that age, yeah. isn't it? It's really extraordinary because yes. most 19-year-olds, I don't think, are, are wanting to have much track with that subject. No.
2: But and at the same time, it has all the energy of a 19-year-old as well. He's managed to harness it in this amazing way so yeah, yeah. Yeah,
0: yeah. Now I remember very well when we did do that poem in school and how it, mind-blowing it was actually when you were about yeah. 16. Wow mm. okay so Alan what have you chosen?
1: Well I've chosen Fernhill which is from a much later phase in Thomas's career but similar themes very much contained within this poem. I could have chosen lots of different poems, and at different points in my life I would have done. But I find, as I grow old and confronted with my own mortality, that Fernhill particularly speaks to me now.
0: Great. Okay, can we have some of it, please?
1: Again, I won't read all of it. It's a long poem, Um, but um, a stanza from the beginning, in which he evokes this wonderful sense of uh, childhood and idyllic days in rural Carmarthenshire, and then the stunning, chilling final stanza. Now as I was young and easy, under the apple boughs, about the lilting house, and happy as the grass was green, the night above the dingle starry, Time let me hail and climb, golden in the heydays of his eyes, and honoured among wagons, I was prince of the apple towns. And once below a time, I lordly had the trees and leaves trail with daisies and barley down the rivers of the windfall light. Nothing I cared in the lamb white days that time would take me up to the swallow thronged loft by the shadow of my hand, in the moon that is always rising, nor that riding to sleep I should hear him fly with the high fields and wake to the farm, forever fled from the childless land. Oh, as I was young and easy, in the mercy of his means, time held me green and dying, though I sang in my chains like the sea.
0: Great. That was such an amazing last line. Mm -hmm. Fantastic. Anything else you want to say about that? Because he did not he actually go and stay in Fernhill, I think, Neilton Stephan. I think it was a relative's farm, wasn't it?
1: It was his aunt and uncle's farm. He spent a lot of time when he was a child at the farm during holidays and and long weekends and so on.
0: Yeah, it's interesting.
1: I studied him at A level in a, an inner city Birmingham College and I can remember looking at Fernhill. Mm. And one of the things was this wonderful depiction of a, a Welsh, magical, beautiful environment
0: yeah. that
1: yeah. really captivated me and gave me a big desire to go to Wales, which I still have and
0: Yeah. And now you live here. And now I live here. <laughs> Fabulous. Actually while we're on that subject you're obviously a very experienced educator, and you. it sounds like you taught kids, and maybe adults, poetry. Was there anything particularly distinctive about teaching Dylan Thomas's poetry?
1: There was, and there's a lot of debate in teaching circles about uh, the teaching of English, And, you know, the debate is around, well, what's the purpose of that? What's the relevance of that? Why should young people study English literature? How do you choose texts which are relevant to them and so on? And, you know, I've been around that debate endlessly in my my own head as well and tried different approaches. But one of the things I found, actually, it's very difficult to find anything that is of relevance to a teenager who's not all, a big reader, yeah. who isn't already kind of turned on to, to literature, because in a way of the inevitable narrowness of their experience. Yeah, yeah. But I found that you can captivate young people like that with the power of language. Mm. And actually, to some extent, the meaning of literature And its messages, its themes, the importance of that can be exaggerated. Yeah. If you can get people interested in language and the power of language and the rhythms of it, just how interesting that is, you're onto something and you can empower them.
0: How it makes them feel, really, Mm -hmm. isn't it? It is about them feeling something.
1: Exactly so, yes. And in that way, you know, the parallels with music are quite strong. And I found that Dylan Thomas was one of those poets where you, you could do that. Yeah. And if you didn't concentrate too much on the meaning, which is often quite opaque, it's yeah. quite obscure, then kids often really picked up on that yeah. and enjoyed it. And the same is true with Shakespeare.
0: Yeah. yeah. I mean, he himself said, didn't he, that his work didn't really it didn't warrant that much critical analysis. I think he said something about that. It's how it makes you feel, really, you know, that he was keen on.
1: Absolutely, yeah. Um, he, He said something very interesting, which maybe we'll touch on later in comparing him with other poets, perhaps, but that, for him, it was about working from the language and not Mm. to the language.
0: Yeah.
1: And I think what he meant by that was a a kind of organic development of, of, of language and that's where his interest started and was sparked and that the ideas then in some kind of organic way developed from that fascination with language rather than starting with a preconceived idea that you want to convey and finding the right words to convey that. Yes. And I yeah. think that's a fascinating yeah. um, It's conference. also uh,
2: what language is as well, you know, if you think of it as the meaning of words, but also the language of these two different poems. This one makes you feel very energised. This one makes you feel kind of lulled. It's like spellcasting. And there's still some very surprising lines. You know, when I was listening to you read Fernhill, which I've read many, many, many times... I suddenly thought, you know, the the way he chooses, the moon is always rising. Yes. That's such an interesting choice, way of describing that, because it's on the up, but what it's talking about is something falling, your life closing in on you. It's just, it, you know, you're always surprised by something new because the language yeah. is so dense and yes. that's really interesting. Yeah, completely. Yeah. Mm.
1: The fallacy is that young people, even if... Again, they're not great readers, perhaps. They, you know, they're not great educational achievers in the conventional sense. It is a fallacy to think they're not interested in language. Look yeah. at their own language. Look at the music that they're, they're interested yeah. in, often. Yeah. Yeah. Rap music, for example. And, and so often the language that they use themselves isn't actually about, about straightforward meaning. Mm. They enjoy the rhythms and the feel. Yeah. On then,
0: I chose a few lines from Under Milkwood, which I think are poetry. And the reason I chose these is I'm being nostalgic. In my 20s, I acted and I was endlessly cast in Under Milkwood. So these (laughs) lines I recited night after night after night. And I often felt when I was saying them that I wasn't speaking, but I was singing. So Uh I just thought I'd read a bit of this. What seas did you see, Tomcat, Tomcat, in your sailoring days long, long ago? What sea beasts were in the wavery green when you were my muster? What seas did you sail, old whaler, when, on the blubbery waves between Frisco and Wales, you were my bosun? What seas were rocking, my little deck deckhand, my favourite husband in your sea boots and hunger, my duck, my whaler, my honey, my daddy, my pretty sugar sailor with my name on your belly, when you were a boy long, long ago. So <laughs> I used to wonderful? feel that I was singing, you know, not. Yes. It did feel like it's more like a song than lines, actually. Yeah. So. So, yeah, so that's Rosie Probert with Captain Cat. Shall we move on now, just to pick up again, Alan, on you mentioned the comparison with other writers. I think we're all Dylan Superfans here, and we all agree that he was hugely inventive. So who does he stand alongside in terms of inventiveness? You know, how does he compare with other Welsh poets or his contemporary poets? poets whether they're welsh or not what do you think about that
1: well i think certainly in terms of his reception in academic circles and literary criticism and so on the comparison is usually with rs thomas is is it not Mm. and and it's a very interesting comparison to make and i think it encapsulates this business we were talking about earlier of does poetry come from language or, or does it move to language? And for me, Ars Thomas is a poet who works to language. And that's not to say that his poems aren't beautiful. They very often are, and lyrical, and moving, and so on. They're much more straightforward than a lot of Dylan's work. Yeah. But they clearly have definite ideas that they that they want to convey. And the ideas that R. S. Thomas wants to convey have a lot to do with Welshness, what it is to be Welsh, Wales's place in the, in the world. They're political ideas and they're important. Dylan Thomas is often criticised, certainly in academic circles. And, and and certainly within within Wales, for not really being as concerned uh, about politics, and and perhaps about Wales as well.
0: Yes. It's interesting to criticize somebody for what they're interested in or what they're not mm. interested in. It's yes. a very strange thing to do in a way. Yes. Um, yeah. You know, I think it's often because the individual who's doing the criticism is interested in that particular aspect and the target hasn't shown the similar yeah. level of interest. Yeah,
1: absolutely. The different receptions that Dylan Thomas has had amongst ordinary people compared to academic. Circles that is very interesting, isn't it? And for that's one of the reasons I think he's considered as a populist, mm. and to me, that's unfair.
0: Yes, yeah. I mean, undoubtedly, do not go gentle into that good night, and, and death shall have no dominion are very popular at funerals, but justifiably mm. so, mm. you know.
1: Well, um, it, it begs the question I think the wider question of what's the purpose of poetry then.
0: Exactly. I mean, that it's serving an utterly profound function there, isn't it? If it's being chosen to Mm. send people on their way Mm -hmm. kind of thing, it couldn't fulfil a more important function in many ways, you know, to mark this ritual and these Mm -hmm. endings.
1: Indeed. And and, uh, if it captivates ordinary people, ordinary in the sense that they're not academics and gives them a, an enduring love of language and speaks to them. That's the most important function,
0: it yeah. seems to me. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. What, what do you think, Emma?
2: I think that many people coming to poetry, their first experience of Welsh poetry is Dylan Thomas. And mm. so, you know, if you think of him as serving no more than that purpose... That's quite an achievement to be the reason why many people come to poetry. Yes. So, yeah, that's how I feel. Yeah, <laughs> yes, good. I yeah, agree. Yeah.
0: Who else has he influenced, do we think? Or do we know?
1: Well, for me, Ted Hughes. Yes. Sylvia Plath.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: The beat poets.
0: And Alan Ginsberg was a big fan of mm. his, wasn't
1: he? He's had a more positive reception i think since his death in america and before his death
0: yeah and i think
1: speaks to his kind of rock star status
0: Mm. i mean it was an amazing thing he did didn't he He sort of toured around 150 different places I, i always think what's that line he's Maybe it's apocryphal. What he's supposed to have said, I've drunk how many uh, whiskies?
1: 18 straight whiskeys. Whiskies, yeah. I think it's a record.
0: Yeah, yeah. That He might also have added, and I visited 150 towns. Yeah. Because <laughs> yeah. that must have been quite relentless, actually, schlepping round. I mean, marvellous. To have the reception and the audiences, but still very quite hard on a person doing that. Um, oh yes, um, yeah. you know, non-stop for a couple of years, wasn't he? Yeah, touring around. It
1: took its um, its toll. A lot of that. Was through necessity, of course, because yes. he, he was he lived his life in penury. Yeah. Really,
0: yeah, and I mean it's the same thing today. Any time you get a group of writers together, what everybody starts to talk about immediately is who's making what, yeah, <laughs> and what are the opportunities for making money, and you know how do you do it because it is very tough.
1: Yes, so absolutely, and and Dylan did not have the connections in high places that, that, that at that time so many of his contemporaries did have and he yeah. w- wasn't able to draw down on that. Yeah. So to some extent it was, it was through necessity, although there's no doubt he seemed to enjoy it yeah, an awful lot yeah, as well.
0: Yeah. Well, he was an amazing performer, wasn't he? His spoken words, I mean, just incredible. Yes. What do you think about
2: his legacy, Emma? Anything else any, in terms of inventiveness and influence? we can think a little bit more about how he can be celebrated for his ability to sell his poetry. I mean, he wrote propaganda in World War II and I can mm. see what, that he would have been good at that. Yeah. But equally, that can often overshadow some of the beautiful, amazing, incredibly powerful lines of poetry. And, and for me, that's his legacy. Is If I think of some of my favourite or most memorable poems, it will be lines from Dylan Thomas that come to the front of my mind for me that's his legacy the very powerful just having some of the most memorable poetry and I hope that's what gets remembered you know in another 100 200 years above how he lived his life and how he spent his time so yeah yeah Mm.
0: great well thank you Dylan Thomas (laughs) let's finish with the recording of him speaking
3: Do not go gentle into that good night Grave men near death Who see with blinding sight Blind eyes could blaze like meteors and be gay Rage, rage against the dying of the light And you, my father, there on the sad height Curse, bless me now With your fierce tears, I pray. Do not go gentle into that good night. Rage, rage against the dying of the light.
0: Thanks very much, Alan and Emma, and thank you very much for listening.